Hey everybody, this is Pastor David with We Are Church. I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways we do that is through the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. So I just pray that this message would challenge you to take your faith to the next level and you would find freedom in every area that you need. God bless you and enjoy the message. Praise God, man. Praise God. So as you all know, two weeks ago, we started a new series titled Momentum. That I was sitting there in my study time and I was really just praying, God, you know, where do you want, uh, what do you want me to preach on over the next couple weeks? What is something that you are trying to establish in your church and in, 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 in the body of Christ, right? And so I f- felt the Lord say um, the word momentum. And so I, I want to talk, we've, we've been talking about how we start to gain momentum in our lives, that a lot of us, we come into this walk with God, we're on fire, we're, we're hungry, right? That, that we just, we can't, we, we want to consume the word of God. We're praying, we're fasting, we're doing all of this stuff and, and we just get in this place where we just take off in our relationship with God. But sometimes, man, we get to a level where we think that, that, that we've, we've matured, we start to overcome some things, right? And so then we start to feel like these mature Christians and we just start to plateau in our walk with God. And I believe wholeheartedly that that's never God's intention for us, Right? And we say, well, I just, you know, I don't, I don't feel the Lord the way I used to because, you know, I've been, I've gotten used to, to the Lord. That you're never supposed to get used to, to the Lord. That your love for him, your hunger for him, your passion for him, that, that, that you're thirsting for him. That should always be increasing and increasing and increasing. That I believe that God has uh, uh, for each and every one of us that he wants to increase our hunger. And so my intent through this whole series is, is to increase your hunger for God, Right. And to, and to continue gaining momentum, whether you're uh, new in your walk with God or whether you've been in your walk with God 12, 13, 14, 15 years, however long you've been in your walk with God. I just it's just I want God to give us just reignite that passion and that hunger for him. And so two weeks ago, we started the series and we talked about the first sermon was titled Exchange the Old for the New. That it's impossible for us to enter into a new relationship with God if we want to carry the old with us, right? That in order for us to walk into the new, we have to be willing to exchange the old for the new. The same way I can't, I couldn't have entered into a marriage with my wife if I was still married to somebody else, right? And so the Lord is saying, man, I got something new for you, but, but you have to be willing to exchange some things for it, right? And walk into the new. And, and last week we talked about that, that there's a time in each and every one of our lives where momentum meets opposition. Right there, that we get in this walk with God, things are going great. Our new relationship with Him, this this newfound love that we had, that everything is going good. But then, but there's a time where momentum meets opposition. But instead of running from opposition, we have to embrace opposition. And so last last week's title sermon title was embrace opposition, and we talked about two things: that opposition is inevitable. That it's not if opposition comes; it's when opposition comes. That Jesus said that each and every one of us would have the uh, uh, trials and tribulation in our life, but he said to take heart because he has overcame the world, right? And then we talked about how opposition is opportunity, that it's opportunity for growth, that we have, we have opportunities in opposition to grow, that, that, that when we're faced with the storms of life, if, if, if we press into God, if we choose God, if we, if we go to him, run to him as our, as our source, we have opportunities to grow in our spiritual walks and in our lives, right? It's also opportunity to rely on God. And so a few little things I want to talk about just a little bit further that I feel like I didn't really dig too deep into last week. But choosing to embrace opposition rather than run from it brings three things. Brings three things. First, it brings healing. That healing takes place when we embrace opposition rather than run from it. That if we take the opportunities, the same things that have hurt us and damaged us that come against us, that when we when we look at those opportunities and we do the opposite of self-destructing and we choose to embrace it, it actually will heal those areas inside of us that have caused us to continuously just self-destruct. It brings new strength. We talked about that, 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 that God's power works best in weakness, right? That Paul, we talked about how he said that, that I was given this thorn in the flesh that I begged God three times to take it away. But he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So we have opportunities in opposition to find new strength, his strength, a strength that we can't have on our own. And then we talked about how it gives us purpose that, that, that through opposition, embracing opposition, we find purpose, right? Because once I overcome something, once I've been through something and didn't give up, 
right? And I found the power of God in that and I overcame it and it actually brought healing that I can use that same situation and speak into somebody else's life that's going through those so things, same things. So, so God gives us that to give it away. We find purpose in our position. I was thinking about that and seeing God use us. That when I actually realized that God could use somebody like me, somebody who used to be a gangbanger, a heroin addict, a failure of a father, stuck in the system that when God said, I can use you, it was the most exhilarating feeling that I ever had in my life, experience that I ever had in my life. The first time I seen God use me to, hurt, to change somebody else's life. And when we grasp that, when we truly grasp that, that's when I think that we'll really, really, really start to catch some traction and some momentum in, in the ministry part of our lives. And few points that I have is, is the enemy. It doesn't scare the enemy if you sit in those church seats. It does not scare the enemy if you sit in those church seats. It doesn't scare the enemy if you take notes when I preach. It doesn't scare the enemy if you can memorize Bible verses. It doesn't scare the enemy if you can, if you give an offering today. That does not terrify. Nothing makes the enemy shake or tremble about you being able to do those things right there. What scares the enemy is if you can actually grasp the reality that God wants to use you and that you have a God-given purpose. That terrifies the enemy is you figuring out exactly what you are called to do and why you were placed here on this earth to begin with. That that's what terrifies the enemy. That's why I preach so much on purpose because I'm hoping that somebody will actually hear it and, and they'll actually grab onto it and actually believe God wants to use me and they'll actually do something about it and they'll actually see the effect of the gospel being preached and see that the power of the gospel has, that, that the gospel has the power to set somebody free. I'm, I'm hoping that somebody grasps that and really, really uses that. But here's the problem. We, the church, we've built systems that cater to your comfort rather than equip you for your calling. We've built systems that say, how can I get more people into these seats? How can I make them feel good? How can I, not, how can I tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear? That we've built systems that cater to your comfort rather than equip you for your calling. And I don't want to be a church like that. I've been saying it from, from the beginning that if, that if it ever gets to that, if it ever gets to that, I'll put the microphone down. Because I don't want to be a church that caters to your comfort, but I want to, I want to be a mission-centered church that believes in the gospel being preached, that believes that Jesus ha is the only one that has the power to set the captives free. Amen? Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. Verse 18 says, when Jesus saw the crowd, and if any of you, I don't know if y'all use Bible apps, most of, most of the time the scriptures that I read are all New Living Translation, NLT, and uh, sometimes ESV. But Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. See what Jesus is saying here? He's saying following me is, 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 is uncomfortable, right? He said, even foxes have dens to live in, but the son of man has no place to even lay his head. He's saying, man, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable following you. Sure you want to go with me? Are you sure you're ready for where I'm going? Because I'm going to take you to places that nobody else wants to go to reach people that nobody else wants to reach and to love people that nobody else in this world is willing to love. He's saying it's going to be uncomfortable following me. And so the title of today's message is get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Get comfortable with the uncomfortable. I want to talk about three simple ways that we do that. And the first is we seek the call more than we seek the comfort. Seek the call more than you seek the comfort. We read in Matthew 26, we read in Matthew 26 about Jesus and, and, and the moments that lead up to him being betrayed and being arrested. And, and he takes his disciples to the, to the olive grove in Matthew 26, verses 36 through 39. Verse 36 says, then Jesus went with them 
to the olive grove, olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And what's beautiful about this text to me is that we see Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, breaking down in anguish. We see him break down in anguish that he's, he, he's suffering even to the point of death, thinking about the suffering that he is about to, to endure, thinking about the things that he's about to face, that he's taken this position to be beaten and to be mocked and to be spit on and to, and to be cursed and to be hung on a cross, that he's about to endure all kinds of things. And we see him not just standing there as some strong person who doesn't have any feelings or any emotions, but he's sitting there struck with grief. The Messiah, the Savior of the world. And even more beautiful than that is that he, he, he does it in front of his disciples, that he doesn't go and run and hide off in a corner because he wants to be some strong leader who doesn't show any emotion to his followers. But he invites his disciples over to see this and witness this. In verse 37, we see, he says, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. You see the, the vulnerability there? I mean, this is, this is the king of all kings, the, the alpha, the omega, and he's begging them, stay here and keep watch with me. They don't, don't leave me, that, that my soul is crushed to the point of death, that I'm, I'm going through so much anguish right now, and he is begging his followers, the ones that he is supposed to be leading, to stay there and keep watch with him. It's the Messiah begging for, for his followers not to leave him alone and to keep watch. Verse 39, again, he says, he went on a little further and bowed, with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, God, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. As much as Jesus wanted the discomfort and the suffering to go away, more than that, he wanted the will of his father to be fulfilled. Saying, God, take this Take this grief from me, God, but not at the expense of my call. That God, if you, if you can accomplish what you need to accomplish without me going through this suffering, God, then let it be done. But, but God, if I have to endure this, if this is, if this is my lie, if this is what I am called to do, God, if, if I can't fulfill what you have for me in my life without going through this, God, then, 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 then just, just leave me in it, God. I'll, I'll go through it. That I care more about the call on my life more than I care about the comfort. And we need to take the things that are happening to us in life and we got to see us making it through the other side. Because there's been times in my life where I wanted to give up. But everybody else behind me that seen hope in me, the people that still hadn't given their life to Jesus that I believed one day would be set free, had to see them more than I seen the discomfort in my life. When I come to places where I have choices to either compromise or make the right choice in my life, I got to see the call on my life. I got to understand that it isn't just me tasting a little bit of the world and slipping up and sinning. It's me forsaking the call on my life. It's the ministry. I'm giving my ministry and my purpose away if I choose the world over my call, if I choose my comfort over the call. Talk about a few things that Jesus faced, a few things that he suffered. <clears throat> he suffered rejection. He was rejected by the same people that he came to save. Many of us can't get over the rejection that we face in our lives right now. Rejected by spouses, rejected by family members, 
rejected by your own fathers or mothers or, or brothers or sisters that we, we, we can't even heal from the rejection that we took place in Jesus faced the ultimate re rejection. He went to the cross and died for people that would never choose to love him. He suffered betrayal. Many of us, we're still clinging on. We can't, we can't move forward in our life because we're still clinging on to the hurt from the betrayal. And betrayal is a special kind of hurt because it takes someone close to your heart. Somebody that you let in close enough to your heart to, to actually hurt almost beyond repair. And unless given to Jesus, we can't repair it. We can't heal from it. He suffered injustice. He died a criminal's death and knew no sin. Some of us are holding on to, to, to some sin that people caused, to the, the sin that people did to us. Jesus took all the sin so that you could be forgiven of yours. And God is saying to let go of that. Okay, they hurt you. Okay, they stole from you. Okay, they said some things that you might not have liked. But what gives you the right to hold on to it if he forgives you? Amen. Suffered mockery. They laughed at him. They mocked him and spit in his face. They told him, if, if you really are God, then come down off the cross. And he could have called 10,000 angels, but yet he chose to stick, to, to stay there. Traded his crown of righteousness for a crown of thorns to be spit on him, mocked for you. Physical pain, he was beaten, whipped, crucified, you name it. And ultimately, he suffered separation from the Father. He absorbed the wrath of God. He absorbed the wrath of God so that the wrath of God could be passed on to him and not you. And in many ways, he still suffers. He still suffers from rejection from the same people he died for. He still mocked and ridiculed all across the world, his own creation mocking and ridiculing him. And we betray him every time we choose the comfort of this world more than we choose the call, the cost of the call in our lives. It's a quote from an unknown author it says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may not be a physical death, but God is calling us to, 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 to die to our fears, to die to our insecurities, to die to our own agendas, to die to our own purpose and our own plans for our lives and to be sold out for his purpose and his plan. And so that's my question today. Are, are you willing to die today? Are you willing to die to yourself in order to pursue the call of God? Paul understood that when he writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. See what Paul's saying? He said, my old self, my old life that has been crucified with Christ, that it's no longer I who lives. He said, I don't, I don't control my life anymore that I crucified my old self to the cross, not just I crucified my sins to the cross. He said, my old self to the cross. So how many of you know we can get rid of some of the, the, the sins that have destroyed our lives and we still got ourselves to deal with? We're still trying to run and lead and control and, and build our own kingdoms in our own lives and we got to crucify ourselves to the cross and say, it's not I who live anymore. Christ lives in me. If he asks me for it, I got to give it to him. If he says go, I got to go. If he says leave it, I got to leave it. If he says, if he, whatever he asks me for or tells me to do, I got to do it. It's, not, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ. He lives in me. That the spirit of God dwells inside of me. I can't, I can't make decisions on my own anymore. I got to be led by something other than myself. Jamie in Brother Andrew's book, The Calling, says this. He says, I have come to see clearly that life is more than self. It is more than doing what I want, striving for what will benefit me, dreaming of all I can be. 
Life is all about my relationship with God. There is no higher calling, no loftier dream, and no greater goal than to live, breathe, and be poured out for Jesus Christ. It's not about what I want. Striving for what will benefit me or dreaming of all I can be. Life is about my relationship with God. It's no higher calling than to be poured out for Jesus Christ. That your life should be a living sacrifice for Jesus. So I know, I know, I know many of us in this room, I know what it, what it, what it feels like to feel the call of God on my life. I know what it feels like to say, man, God is, he's got some specific work for me. I, I feel God is telling me to preach the gospel. I feel God is telling me to read some, how do I do this? That we don't even know where to start, right? Some of us were like, man, I'm, I'm willing, but I, I don't even know where to start. It's like when God called me to, to, to start a church, I didn't know where to start, right? I want to talk about how we do this. Which brings me to my second point. Start where you are with what you have. Start where you are with what you have. My first point on that is God has placed you where you are on purpose for his purpose. Psalms 37 verse 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. That the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. And meaning, meaning if, if, if you are where you are today, right, that your steps were ordered by God, that they were directed by God, that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. So we ask, how do we start in these ministries? We start where we are. Where are you at right now? Who do you live with right now? Who do you work with right now that you start where you are with what you have? If our steps are ordered by God, then that means every move is calculated. Every move, every step that you take is calculated. Purpose that God's got a specific reason for where you are today and what you do today matters. Every day. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 through 26 says, I do, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. This is Paul. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. You see that? I mean, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal price. I mean, so I run with purpose in every step. He said, I'm not just shadow boxing, that every move that I make is calculated, that I'm, I'm looking for the opportunities to preach the gospel, that I'm looking for the opportunity to make a difference in somebody else's life and show them that Christ put a love in me that this world cannot give. I'm looking for opportunities to say, how can I make a difference in this world? He said, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not swinging at something that isn't there. That every time that I, that I make a difference in somebody else's life, I'm kicking the enemy's teeth in. I'm not just shadow boxing. There's a real enemy out there. So I don't aimlessly wander around this world. Every move that I make, every step that I take has purpose. It's like watching Todd White. You ever watch Todd White? He probably leads like a hundred and something people to the Lord a day. Everywhere he goes, he is witnessing about Jesus. He's using his gifts uh, 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 to reach. He's using his fight. Everything about his life he is using for the glory of God. He doesn't go anywhere without looking for an opportunity to give somebody the gospel. And he starts in verse 23, he says, I do everything to spread the good news. And sharing his blessing. Do everything to spread the good news and sharing his blessing. Like, what is this blessing that he's talking about? He's talking about the, the harvest, the souls won to the kingdom of God. I do everything to spread the good news. John chapter 4, verses 35 through 38 says, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. 
what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to har harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. See what he's saying? Wake up and look around you. Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe. He's saying, man, man, open your eyes. Like, can't you see it? Can't you, can't you look around you? Can you not see the opportunity to give somebody the gospel? Like, it doesn't take much to go outside and see somebody who is lost and broken and beaten down that needs the hope of Jesus. It's like, wake up. Like, open your eyes and look around and see the world for the brokenness that, that, that's in it. You don't have to go far to see it. He said the fields are already ripe for harvest. We won't see the harvest unless we look for it. I was thinking about that, man. It's one of the reasons why it's so hard to be parked at an intersection when somebody's on the side of the road with a sign or holding money. It's so hard to look at them in their eyes because you're not just looking at a person that you're looking at somebody who bears the image of God. That's the harvest. So you look down in shame or you look at your phone and you try to try to avoid eye contact with them because that's a person who is broken and beaten down, but still bears the image of God. But if we don't look for the harvest, we won't see it. And Jesus says, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? I want to ask you. Is it possible the reason you lack joy is because you are not operating and living in your God-given role today? Many of us were, were depressed. No joy in our lives. It's because we're not fulfilling the, the tasks and the, and, and, and the role that God has given us. One of my points, I believe that the root of depression is a life lived outside of God's purpose. That the root of depression is a life lived outside of God's purpose. Some of us, we can't break out of our anxiety and our depression. But it isn't until we're willing to serve somebody else, get outside of ourselves, to love somebody that nobody else wants to love, that we'll actually start to feel the joy again, experience the joy again. So, man, what joy awaits both, both the harvester and the planter alike? Then it says in verse 37, you know the saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. And he's saying, man, Jesus said, man, I'm sending you to, to somewhere where you didn't even have to plant. But you'll get to gather the harvest. He's saying, man, there's people that's already been sowing seeds into their lives before. There's, there's family members that have already been praying for them. He said, man, I've been pulling them, that I've been working on them. I've been calling them. But all it, need, all it takes is for you to give them the gospel. There's people that only you can reach and you will get to experience the harvest. He's saying it's his work. It's not your work. And that's the thing. We struggle with confidence. I don't have what it takes. You're right. You don't. But he does. It's his work, not yours. Your platform is wherever your feet are planted now. That's your platform. So, man, oh, man, when God gives me a platform, when God gives me a platform, then I'll speak. No, your platform is where you are now. My ministry started in a jail cell. Well, me being willing to, to, to say, hey, man, prayer call. Hey, anybody who wants prayer, we're going to be over here tonight. Circle up and read a few scriptures and pray. That's when my ministry started. Sitting on my bunk and, and, and reading my Bible and somebody would come up and ask me questions. I was just telling them what I was learning. I didn't know. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't go to oh, seminary school. I didn't go to none of that. I just just telling people what Jesus was saying to me and what I was reading and how God was speaking to me. And, and that's, that's where my ministry started. God was giving me a platform while I was still in jail. It starts where your feet are planted now. You may not be called to pastor a church, 
You may not be called to lead worship. You may not be called to what y'all think is frontline ministry, but frontline ministry is not in here. It's out there. We think this is frontline ministry. This isn't. It's out there. It's what we do out there. Our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. The pastors, the teachers, the, 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 the evangelists, all of that. What is their job? To equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. And the problem is we all have that one day mentality. One day I'll be bold enough. One day I'll speak up. One day I'll have what it takes. I don't want to start running. One day I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to. And we got this one day mentality that somehow we think that, that we got the time somewhere down the road or we'll have the opportunity somewhere down the road to actually jump into what God is calling us to do right here, right now. What if one day is today? What if there's somebody that needs Jesus today, but you have the ability? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies a call. Some of us, we don't feel qualified. I'm not qualified enough. I'm not qualified enough. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies a call. Talk about a few things that we do have right here, right now for our ministry. First, you have your testimony. You have your testimony. You have what God is doing in your life right now, what he's done in your life and what you are doing right now. In Revelations, it tells us that, that they overcame him, that they overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, that the sanctifying blood of Jesus on your life in the word of your testimony, the evidence of what God is doing in your life right here, right now, enables people to overcome the enemy. They overcome him. They defeat him. They overthrow him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is the most powerful gift that God could give you or has given you. You have ears to listen. Sometimes the greatest ministry you can ever do in somebody's life is just listen. Because everybody's got something to say. But nobody ever wants to listen. Sometimes somebody just wants to just, just, just need somebody to cry out to. And they just want somebody who actually cares enough to listen to what they're going through. It's a quote. I don't even know who quotes it, but it says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There's things I don't have answers for. In ministry, and people come to you expecting the answer. David, why would God allow this to happen? David, why am I going through? David, why this? David, why that? I don't know. But I listen to their pain, listen to their hurt, because I care. So they listen when I speak, because I was willing to listen. Third, you have a mouth to speak life into their brokenness. You have a mouth that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And people have been beat down their whole lives. They've been beat down. They don't need people coming and telling them how broken they are anymore. How much further along they got to in their walk and how many things that they need to let go. That's not what people need. They need hope. They need life. You need to speak life to the dead areas in their life. You need to encourage them. You can overcome that. That in Christ you can do all things. That you, you need to speak life into them. You have authority not only to war with devils but to change the atmosphere of whatever room you walk in. Like, do y'all really believe that? That we're not thermometers, we're thermostats, that we change the temperature in the atmosphere of a room when we walk in because God has given us, Christ has given us his authority when we come into a room. Don't believe me, try it. Pray over a room before you walk in. And see if you don't change the temperature in the atmosphere of the room when you walk in. You have the light of Jesus in this dark 
and crooked world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, verses 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. He's saying, man, it, you, you're, you're the light of the world. So nobody lights a lamp and then hides it in a basket. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, it, it doesn't make sense for me to, for, for me to give you the light that, 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 that Jesus, to, 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 to put the light of Jesus in you and you become the light of the world and then hide you under a basket. So why is it that us as Christians and believers, that so many of us were hidden, that we're hidden instead of shining our light into this world, we're, we're hidden. One of my points, it's not your light or your works, but rather his light displayed through your works that give light to everyone. He said, instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. As we look around and we see more darkness and more chaos and more conf confusion, our, our natural response is to remain hidden. But instead of remaining hidden, we must run, that we got to run towards the darkness with the light of Jesus, that, that we can't continue to stay in our shells and in these seats and in our rooms and in our houses, that, that we have the light of the world, that this world is perishing in, in, in darkness and confusion, that, that darkness has gripped this whole entire world and we have the light of Jesus. We don't have the right to remain hidden. And some of us, man, we, we, we wonder why the light and the fire is dying down in us that that passion that once burned bright is, 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 is dim and we're barely even lit anymore and it's because we won't use it. We've hidden it under a basket. So we know the, the light's supposed to give, to give light to everyone in the house that people should be able to look at. You gotta come outside of your shell and you gotta let people see what I'm doing in your life. You gotta witness to them. You gotta give them the light. Amen. My third Final point is we got to run the race with urgency. We got to run the race with urgency. First, remember, we seek the call more than the comfort. Second, we start where we are with what we have. And third, you got to run the race with urgency. And I believe that the reason that we've grown complacent in our callings is because we don't bear the burden of lost souls. We don't bear the burden of lost souls. I'm about to go hard for a minute, but I'm preaching to myself right now. Right? That the reason we, we can walk past hundreds of people every single day and remain silent is because we don't really care about what he cares about. That that's the reality of it. And I'm preaching to myself that the reason we can see this world for the brokenness that it is and do nothing about it is because we do not care about what he cares about. Saying we care about the lost and the broken but never giving them the gospel is like, it's like seeing somebody drowning and not throwing them a lifesaver that you have. We watch them drown and we watch them die. We say, oh man, I hate that that person died. Sucks to see somebody die, but you, you had what they needed to survive. You had what they needed to make it. You had what they needed to continue and to have life, but you didn't give it to them. You can say you cared, but if your actions don't show that you cared and you don't really care about what he cares about, and I'm preaching to myself because I walk past hundreds of people every day and never question whether or not they know Jesus. We value our comfort and our finances more than we value his lost children. We don't want to get outside of our comfort zones. We don't want to stop what we're doing to build our kingdoms here on earth that will perish one day. That this life is a vapor that will burn up and in eternity. We care more about the little bit of financial gain that we can have right now and the comfort that we can have right now than we care about his lost children. We want the acceptance of God, but we hide from the rejection of man. We know people are going to reject the gospel. We know people are going to reject his message. 
We have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, but we've placed them in our junk, junk drawers. We have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, but what are we doing with them? Paul says that we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Like how sad is it that God has given us something that nobody else has ever had in all creation. He gives us his anointing. He gives us his peace, that he gives us his joy, that he gives us his authority. He gives us his freedom, that he's given us the ministry and the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And he's given us access to, to the keys, to the kingdoms of heaven, to, to bind whatever, uh, to, to bind on earth, that whatever's bound on earth will be bound in heaven, that God has given us the ability to loose his spirit on this world and to set captives free. But we don't, we don't really want that. We might say we want it. I want it, but I don't really feel like it right now. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, this is all the, mer the more urgent. For you know how late it is. The time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is now, is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. See the urgency? What Paul is saying is, I mean, it's all the more urgent. He said, I mean, you, you know how late it is that time is, 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 is running out. The time is running out that every day that we wake up is a day closer to the return of Jesus. He's saying salvation is nearer now than when we first believed that, 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 that the salvation, the ultimate saving of the same, coming back, the return of Jesus is nearer now than ever before. He said the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. Look what he says. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on a shining armor, right living. know if you can see what's happening right now in this world but it's not getting any better the deception is growing stronger and unless we we, we move and we act and we and, and we jump into this call of God with urgency understanding that time is running out that the person that we see on the streets might not be here tomorrow that the return of Jesus is coming soon and if we don't get serious about our calling people are gonna miss it the day of salvation is, 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 is nearer now than ever. And I'm preaching to myself. He said, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put on a shining armor of right living. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? Like, we're all guilty of it. We're guilty of it. So we repent. We, we repent and then we, we get busy that we, that, that we move with urgency. Understanding that we might not have tomorrow. That one day we're going to stand before God and he's, we're going to have to give an account for the ministry that he has given us. He's going to say, what did you do? It's what I gave you. Some of us ain't even going to know what that is, but he, what ministry, God? I'm saying, what do you mean what I gave you? What do you mean what I gave you? I gave you keys to the kingdom of heaven. I gave you access to my power. I gave you authority. I gave you anointing. I gave you my spirit inside you so that you didn't have to walk in this world by yourself wondering where you, where, where you should go. That I gave you the leading of the Holy Spirit to use that not only so that you could be saved and, and set free, but so that you could use that to reach other people that are out there. What do you mean with what I gave you? I gave you everything that you need to accomplish the work that I have called you to accomplish gave you the gospel that I died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. I gave you the gospel, but you weren't willing to tell them about me. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you for this day. 
God, I know this was a message that not only challenged people in this room and on the screen, God, but it's a message that challenged me. Because, God, if we're all honest, God, that we all, we don't hunger for you the way that we should. God, we don't hunger for the things that you hunger for, God, that we not... We, we, we walk past broken people every day that it breaks your heart, God. It, 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 it tears you up to see them living like that, God. But to us, it's nothing. And God, so our hearts have become callous, God. So we ask today, today we, we repent, God. We repent not only for the, for the things wrong that we do, God, but we repent for not taking the mission seriously. So God, we ask for new hearts today that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, that you would give us a tender and responsive heart. God, that you would give us eyes to see people the way that you see them. And God, I thank you that you chose us when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't want you. You chose us. God, I pray for a special anointing to fall on every person in this room, God. God, that as they would step outside of their comfort zones this week and choose to walk in the call that you have placed on their life, God, that, God, that, that, that they would be effective in their ministries. God, that you would give them the words they need to say to speak into the broken areas of other people's lives, to, to encourage them, to edify them, to build them up, to draw them closer to you. And God, I pray for the strongest conviction we'd ever, we've ever had in our lives to take this call seriously God God let us feel the urgency let us sense the urgency God to preach the gospel God we pray for this nation God we pray that you start to expose the darkness at a level like never before God we pray for our leaders we pray for our president God that you would give him strength right now God God, that you would give him wisdom. God, that you would pull him closer to your heart. God, we just pray, God, for your hand and your protection on him right now in Jesus' name. God, we pray for this election that is taking place right now. God, we know that, that, that no matter who is becomes the president of the United States, God, that you're still on the throne, God. And whoever ends up in this seat is who you want in this seat to accomplish whatever work that you set out to accomplish, God. That you, you rule over everything. So, God, we pray for every person in office right now, God. We pray for every one of our leaders right now, God. God, we pray for the ones that don't know you, God, that you would, that you would call them to yourself, God, that they would experience you, that you would reveal yourself, God, that they would have their road to Damascus moments like Paul, God, and God, that they would come to know you, God, and that that, 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 that would be something that would be life-changing and transforming, God, and that you would call this nation back to yourself, God. We repent for all of the wickedness, not only done in our homes, in our households, but all across this nation, God, and we beg you to heal this land, God. And God, we know that you, you, you've chosen certain vessels to accomplish that work by the preaching of the gospel. And so we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the call on our lives. I ask that you bless every person under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God, y'all. Amen. So real quick, before we end, y'all know we do things different. We always take up offering at the end of the service. Um, so real quick, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 17. While you're turning there, we have two, we have three different ways to give. We have text to give, and the number is 615-257-9633, and it should be on the screen, 615-257-9633. Then we have online at weareministries.com. You can click the giving tab and it'll take you to the giving portal. Then we have Cash App. I know that's a lot. Cash App with the uh, cash tag is the money symbol. We are church with a capital W. We are church with a capital W. Then in-house, we have cash or check and you can just offer in buckets ain't up here, but you can bring it to the bring it forward after service. But Deuteronomy 16 verse 17 says all must give as they are able according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God love that scripture I've never I probably read this scripture but didn't really notice it notice it but as I was searching for scriptures for giving it said man all must give as they are able 
Notice that he didn't say they must give as they aren't able to give from what they don't have. But he said, if they're able, they must give. Why? He said, according to the blessings given to them by the Lord. So he may say, he said, no one is excluded from giving if they are able to give, right? And they got to give according to the blessings given to them by the Lord. So in other words, he's saying what you have is not yours. That if you are financially ahead of the game, it's because God has placed you there. So if you reap the benefits of God's blessing on your life, God is saying, then you give according to what I've done already in your life. And that's how we know when we start to really grow in our maturity and our walk with God, because we start to realize that what I have isn't mine. If God says, give it, then I give it. So I want to challenge you today to give according to the blessings that were given to you by God. Amen. Amen. We'll pray over the offering real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for this day. God, I thank you again for the opportunity to be here. God, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray for every person in our church who has been faithful with their tithe and with their offering, God. I pray that you just open the floodgates of heaven, pour out blessings on them they cannot contain. God, I thank you for rebuking the devourer in their, in their lives, God. And God, for the person who's struggling financially, we mention it every single week. God, I pray that you bless them abundantly, God. God, that you would position them in such a way, God, that they could give like never before. God, we pray that you would meet every one of their needs today, and we thank you for your hand on this church for your hand on every person under the sound of my voice in Jesus mighty name amen amen I love you church we will see you next week thank you for listening to this week's message from we are church I trust that you are blessed and moved in a way that changes your life permanently and allows God to guide you towards your calling in Christ if you want to make we are church your home church or feel moved to sow into we are church we want to provide the means to do so you can join or give online at weareministries.com. And you can also reach us on our social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you. Have a great week.